Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. So we're in the book of Ephesians. Why don't we thank God with the, for the journey that we've been on so far? It's been an amazing journey. I'm going to give you some quick facts about the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's going to be behind me too. It's a letter. It's an epistle. It has six chapters. It was written in 61 AD. This is also considered a prison letter. There's four letters that Paul wrote that he wrote from prison to the uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So those are four letters that he wrote. So this was one while he was incarcerated. The author is the Apostle Paul. Some quick facts about Ephesus is going to be behind me. It's uh, one of the capitals of the Roman Empire. There were a lot of trade routes that would go through Ephesus. It was extremely wealthy. It was the economic center, the entertainment center as well. Many temples and false gods. The population was around 500,000 people. It's interesting. Jen and I, we had the opportunity to go to Ephesus. Um, It's located in modern-day Turkey, And what's amazing is that it's literally the city is pretty much, they've excavated most of it, and you're able to walk down the very stones and streets that the Apostle Paul walked down as he was in Ephesus. It was amazing to go. And on a side note, we're still believing God that we're going to have a special trip to Israel. And who knows, we might be able to make it to Ephesus as well. So just to know it's an amazing, amazing place to go and visit. Acts chapter 18 and 19 for us to know, that's where Ephesus pretty much began. The Apostle Paul was there a total of three years going from house to house, talking and evangelizing, talking about Jesus. He was going to house to house. The church started. And after the three years and Paul had to leave, everybody that were there, they started to cry. That's what it said. They started to cry when Paul had to leave because they loved Paul and they loved the message that he ended up doing. And then the apostle Paul continued going on with his ministry, but eventually he got arrested in Jerusalem. And after he left, five years later, he pretty much was in prison writing the letter to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus. So five years later, he writes this letter, and imagine if you were part of the church, and you were with Paul for three years, and you received the letter, you would be excited to be able to hear from your pastor, your pastor that, uh, of course, was there for those three years with you. Now, something that's interesting with Ephesians is that we, we have the book of Ephesians, but there's actually another mini letter to Ephesus in the Bible as well, a mini letter to Ephesians, you could say the church of Ephesus, a little one. The reason why I say it's a little one, it's not a full letter. You could consider it a postcard, a postcard, but this one was sent 
written by Jesus through John, and it's found in Revelations. And we're going to read this, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. This John wrote around 96 AD. So picture Paul wrote the letter to Ephesians 61 AD, and just picture 35 years later, John wrote the book of Revelation, and here it's highlighted to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. So this is a postcard they're receiving 35 years later. You could say that. So it says this, Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 to 5, yet I hold this against you. This is God speaking to the church of Ephesus. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Pretty much saying they'll disqualify themselves from having the light to shine at that time as a church. Something that's interesting is that 150 to 200 years later, what's believed in church tradition and what's been um, thought and believed through all that time, 150 to 200 years later, the church of Ephesus closed. It ended. It no longer existed. So by the third century, the church of Ephesus was no more. So seeing that, we could believe that and seeing the statement from Jesus in Revelation, the church of Ephesus never repented from the sins that they were committing and from what the postcards said that they received. Real quick, just want to tell you about the book division about the book of Ephesians. Chapters 1 to 3 are doctrinal. You'll see a lot of statements in him too. Keep that in mind. And chapters four to six is practical. You'll see a lot of statements through him. Now, something that's interesting too, if you look at the Apostle Paul and how he writes his letters, a lot of his letters start off with the things you should know. And then in the end, he talks about how to apply it to your life, the practical behind it. Because it's not so much about to know the Bible, it's to know how to apply it when it comes to your house, work, life, as you go through everything. So that's how he writes. So I'm going to give you some examples of in him and through him. And we're going to go through these pretty quickly. When it comes to in him, what's interesting, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says it 27 times in six chapters, in him. And most of the time, it's in the first three chapters of the book. In him, in him, in him. And you'll see the second half, it's through him. And if you combine all the time that the Apostle Paul says in him from all of his letters, it's about 165 times. The Apostle Paul really wanted for each of us to understand who we are in him who we are in Christ. So I'm going to give you some examples now. It's going to be uh, behind us. We're going to go through it fairly quickly. In him, we should have the slide there, we are blessed by the Father. You will find that in Ephesians 1.3. 
In him, you can say amen after each one too. I, I like that amen. Whoever did that amen, you got extra credit. Amen from the top. So in him, we are chosen. One, four. Ephesians one, four. In him, we are redeemed. Ephesians one, seven. In him, God's will is rele- uh, revealed. Ephesians one, nine. In him, there is an inheritance. Ephesians one, eleven. In him there is salvation, Ephesians 1.13. In him there is immeasurable power, Ephesians 1.20. These are not even all the in hymns in chapter 1. These are, they've just been chapter 1. So there's a lot of in hymns just for, for you to um, see, and we're going to continue it. In him we are raised from the dead, and we're seated with him, Ephesians 2.6. In him were shown immeasurable riches and kindness, Ephesians 2, 7. In him we were created for good works, Ephesians 2, 10. In him we are brought near by his blood, Ephesians 2, 13. We need to understand that each one of these verses are like theological bombs. Like these are like you could do full teachings on each of those ver- verses individually, we could, we could do series on them. Um, but just for you to realize, like, these are like spiritual bombs that the Apostle Paul was detonating in the enemy's camp, letting people know who they are in Christ. Now we're going to transition and talk about, through him, the practical chapters 4 to 6. I'm going to highlight a couple. It's going to be behind me. Through him... We're unified and gifted, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Through him, we walk in holiness, Ephesians 4, um, um, verse 17 to chapter 5, verse 21. Through him, we understand true marital roles, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Through him, our families and jobs have order, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. And through him, we're strong and protected with the armor of God, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. And everybody said, amen. So that's to give you an idea of the in him and through him that you'll find in Ephesians. Normally, there's a key verse that we have it's going to be a couple of verses we're going to read. It's three from Ephesians. And we're going to focus today on Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. It says this. You could turn in your Bibles. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I just want to emphasize that. We are in God and in, its, in his mighty power. But put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The truth is the the devil is always scheming. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, because it's going to come, 
you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. And how I emphasize that when the day of evil comes, it's amazing how there's some Christians that make it seem like when you give your life to God, like no, no bad things happen. It's almost like you're running through flower beds with daisies and it's always a glorious, beautiful journey. Uh, here clearly says when the day of evil comes, there, there's going to be certain days that you're going to come and you're going to have to face evil. And the opposition that we have is not man. So many times we think our battle is against certain family members or friends or enemies that we might see or have. It's spiritual. And what's interesting with that passage too is show that there's like a hierarchy when it comes to the darkness that tries to invade and the darkness that tries to stop what God is doing. Of course, we know that nothing could stop what God is trying to accomplish, but it doesn't mean that the darkness is still not going to try. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it's not going to be behind me, but it also talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and it's not talking about Jesus, it's talking about the enemy. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there's a spirit, a pretty much king of the air, that obviously he's not over Jesus, but he has some type of authority, you could say, when it comes to his kingdom, the enemy's kingdom, and he's at work in those that are disobedient. The apostle Paul also mentions in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. And we know, like, it's pretty much like if I'm trying to go through that door right now, and someone on the other side doesn't want to let me, if I get to stick my foot just, just enough to hold that place there, no matter how much they're trying to prevent me from coming in, I have some type of leverage to be able to push that door open. And it says, don't give the enemy a foothold. So many times as believers, we definitely do that. Whether you like it or not, I have an announcement to tell you today. Uh, Welcome to the battle. Turn to the person near you or behind you and just say, welcome to the battle. Let them know, welcome to the battle. Let them know that they're in a battle. Some of you are probably thinking, it's like, yo, I don't want to fight nobody. I don't want to be in no type of battle. What you talking about? You know, isn't the battle won already? You know, like, we don't, we don't have, like, what type of battle we have to be in? You know, what's interesting is that I, a lot of times during the month, I, I talk a lot to the police department, and I talk a lot about the different things that's happening in the city of Elizabeth, and when it comes to robberies, uh, burglaries, and stuff like that in the city. And there's a lot. There, there, there's a lot that happens in the city of Elizabeth, but not just in the city of Elizabeth, all major cities, and actually all over the place, especially when I tell you what's the major things that are happening. The major things that are happening are packages being stolen from in front, in front of their houses or apartment. Anyone? Has that ever happened to anyone? That's happened to me. Uh, packages being stolen. We love ordering from Amazon, but in reality is you got to keep track of that package when it lands in your house because you don't want it to escape. 
packages stolen from uh, Amazon, deliveries in front of the house. A lot of times cars are broken into. You know why? Because things are left visible outside. They leave watches. They leave uh, other uh, um, like iPods or whatever it is. They leave it visible. And a lot of times they go around and it's not planned at all, but they see what's there and they want it and they'll get it. Another big thing that happens a lot is garage doors. If you leave your garage door open and someone's walking by, they know it takes just a few seconds to walk over in and see if there's something they could carry and walk it out. A lot of times, too, they check for doors if house doors are open. Like, they'll just go to a door in, in a house, and if the front door is open, they'll walk right through. They know it just takes seconds to try to find something, and a lot of times things are left in the beginning, and they escape. So a lot of times, it is funny, too, because I tell Jen all the time, sometimes Jen goes and walks uh, the dog, and she leaves the front door open, like, without the lock. And I'm, like, upstairs, and all of a sudden, I come down, I was like, yo, Jen, yo, Put me in danger, yeah? What if someone, you know, a chupacabra comes inside, you know, while, while I'm upstairs or something, you know? It's like all of a sudden you got, you got to lock these doors and make sure that no one comes in. But what's interesting was even at the last meeting that I had, one of the captains and deputy chiefs said it himself. He said, all these crimes are pretty much bur- burglaries from people that are opportunists. They're opportunists. They, they specifically used that word, opportunist. It wasn't something that was planned. The opportunity presented itself. It wasn't something that they went around and was like, let me look for a garage door that's open. No, they were just walking through the neighborhood and someone left the garage door open. It wasn't like they were walking through trying to find something in cars per se, but all of a sudden they happened to walk through and they found some jewelry left there. So they broke the glass to get it. It wasn't that they were really wanting to plan to rob a house, but something indicated to them that the door of the house might be open. So they went in and tested it to go all the way in. They were opportunists. You know what's interesting if we remember when the devil tempted Jesus, it says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 13. When the devil had finished all of his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil is an opportunist. He wants to try to find the right time to be able to strike. When Jesus talking about the devil, he said this in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's interesting, that word thief that Jesus uses to describe Satan, it's pretty much a word that comes from kleptomaniac. The original word is called like kleptus. And the word kleptomaniac pretty much comes from the word that means steals compulsively, always wants to steal. And something interesting in the meaning of the word thief that Jesus used is that word means a thief that steals in secret. 
not in public. It's an opportunist that likes to be under the radar in your life. He's not going to come up to you and stare you at your face and say, deny Jesus. He's not going to come up to you and tell you, worship me. Satan is not going to say that to you. He's going to do things in secret and influence you to deny Jesus, influence you to worship him in a sense. Anytime you worship anything but God, you're worshiping something traced to the enemy. So here the enemy, he's very secret in his ways. I know we're talking about breaking in. I'm going to tell you pretty much four phases. There's really four phases when someone breaks in. It's going to be behind me here right now too, right there. There's the initial trespassing. So if someone's breaking into, let's say, my house or anyone's house, it's the initial trespass. You came to the front lawn. You went to the backyard. You went to the side yard. You're pretty much on the property. You're trespassing on the property. The next phase is the breaking and entering. Whether it's through a door, through a window, through your garage, there's that initial break-in where they're able to gain access inside the house. Then once they're in the house, that's when the stealing start. Usually, just for you to know, most burglars, when they're breaking into someone's house and they're stealing, the first place that they're going to go to is your bedroom. They're going after the jewelry. So on a side note, <laughs> if you have jewelry, don't keep it in the bedroom. That's the first place burglars go. They go straight to the bedroom to look for jewelry. So, so here, stealing begins, grabbing the items that they want to have. And the last phase, which we pray would never happen, is being a hostage. Because let, a lot of times, burglars are very brazen. They'll, they'll try to go in with people in the house. You know, so all of a sudden, it's like someone in the middle of everything could become a hostage in their own home because a burglar came in. The reason why I'm talking about this, because I want to talk about four stages of demonic activity. Four stages where the enemy, here we talked in Ephesians chapter 6, we saw pretty much Like how the Apostle Paul says, hey, this is real. You're in a battle. You got to stand firm. You got to know who you are in him and you have to live through him. Don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't make sure that you realize that there are forces that you're dealing with. And then all of a sudden, it's important for us to know that there is stages where the enemy pretty much is able to penetrate, you could say. The first stage is trespassing, is where the enemy starts having influence in your life, influence your life, symptoms, whispers of evil, fear, suicide, depression, revenge, greed, envy, lust, feeling worthless, lies about that God doesn't love you, and just distorting the truth about God. It's whispers. I'm not saying that Like, if you happen to have any of these thoughts, automatically it's the enemy whispering to you. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that the enemy is trying to gain influence. And the moment you start believing what he says, because you can't stop him from whispering. He's going to whisper. It's up to you whether or not you're going to believe it or not. 
So literally, he could whisper all he, wa- he wants, but it's up to you if you're going to believe it. The moment you decide to believe it, the moment you decide to believe it, you've already given him access to trespass. Spiritually speaking, he's in your backyard and in your front yard, side yard of your house. The second phase, the second stage is the breaking and entering. That's harassment. He's in the house already. It's not like, I mean, there's been time periods people have been near my house and I don't know why they were, my cameras picked it up. And I don't know, I'll never know why they were near my house. But this is a different stage. They've come in the house. They broke into the house. They came in. And spiritually speaking, they broke into your, through your spiritual window, through the spiritual door you left open. Whatever it is, they had some type of access. And all of a sudden, there's harassment taking place. Unexplained disturbances. Like maybe even hearing things or feeling things or even having disturbances while you're sleeping, feeling like you're pinned in the bed, trying to speak, you cannot speak. I don't know if that's ever happened to people, but that's something that's um, common at times. Those are just some examples. You just know that there's something off. Something has penetrated and spiritually speaking has entered your spiritual space. And you just feel uneasy that something is off and there's unexplained disturbances. Now, another one, the next level is stealing, and that's oppression, oppression. The the symptoms is feeling burdens, like heavy burdens, feeling tormented, overwhelming fear and heaviness, stealing of your peace. The enemy, how I said here, it's stealing. He's trying to oppress you. He's trying to steal your peace. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your focus. He's trying to steal your relationship with God. He's trying to oppress you. You literally feel, spiritually speaking, like a heavy weight, like a darkness, like almost as if there would be like a a spiritual black darkness that was placed over your shoulders in life, and you're trying to walk and go through life, but you feel this heaviness. It's a struggle for you to even come to church. It's a struggle for you to even open the Bible. You can't even pray because you can't even stay focused for 10 seconds to declare that Jesus is the Lord of your life because all of a sudden there's an oppression over your life because now the enemy has gotten to a different stage where he's starting to steal things that you held dear. And we know the enemy's there to steal kill and destroy. The enemy doesn't love you. The enemy doesn't love me. He's out for blood. He's out to kill. He's out to destroy. He's not out to play any type of games. The fourth level is hostage, which I will say it's control. The enemy having some type of control, symptoms, feeling numb, loss of sensitivity, having really dark thoughts about suicide, murder, revenge, doing things that you would never even thought of doing. You're driving and all of a sudden you get the sensation that wants you to drive the car over the hill through the barrier just to kill yourself. All of a sudden these dark thoughts start to overwhelming, not overwhelm you, not feeling like yourself. You just don't feel like yourself. You don't feel like you're present, having fits of rage, things pretty much 
like in a, in a second, you go from zero to 60, but it's an anger beyond anger. Like you just, you almost feel like it's not you, obsessed with sinful activity, blinded by the truth. People could sit with you and tell you the truth, but yet you're blinded to, to the truth. So here you see that the enemy has progression. And every single one of us in our life, every Christian that's ever lived, if they're not careful, we could fall in every stage of this. In every stage where the enemy could have some type of, even stage four, having some type of control in your life if you allow him to. That's the thing. So here, as we move on, I'm going to tell you five things that Satan doesn't want you to know. I'm going to tell you. These are things he doesn't want you to know. I'm going to blow his spot tonight. Oh, not tonight. What what time is it? Oh, it's almost afternoon. This morning. I'm going to blow his spot this morning. All right? So, number one, Satan doesn't want you to know that he is real. He doesn't want you to know that he's real. He doesn't want you to know that Satan is real, that demons are real. Now, I want to tell you, I'm not saying that there's a demon behind every rock. I know some Christians are like, hey, so if we're in the demonio, like, you know, like looking for a demon everywhere. It's not like that, guys. Then I know some Christians be like, I don't believe in Satan. Demons can't touch me. I'm a child of God. I, I, there's no battle here. The Apostle Paul said it's a battle. Don't pretend that it's not a battle. So it's like they, they just feel like there's no demons, there's no devil, like nothing exists. It's important to have a healthy perspective when it comes to that. So don't be in either extremes with that. Now, I want to let you know, I know for a fact the enemy is real. Through my life, because of different experiences, I've heard him, pretty much experienced him in different things. Obviously, we won't go into detail, but I know for a fact that the enemy is real. For a fact that he's real and that he's out to destroy. So Satan doesn't want you to know he's real. Second thing the enemy doesn't want you to know is this. Satan doesn't want you to know your destiny in God. Satan doesn't want you to know your destiny in God. I'm going to tell you this. He doesn't really care that you believe in God, okay? He doesn't really care. Obviously, he's not happy about it. But if he's able to neutralize you where you never end up doing what you were fashioned to do, called to do, your destiny in him, he's won the battle the way he sees it against you. If he's able to neutralize you where you don't use your gifts and your talents and your giftings for God, is if he's able to neutralize you where you're not able to step out in faith and accomplish what God has orchestrated for you to accomplish. If he's able to neutralize you to think that this Christian walk is just to have a little belief in God and show up to church on Sunday morning, he's defeated you already. Because in his eyes, he doesn't want you to know your destiny in God. Because the moment you know your destiny in God, you're walking and doing God's will. He doesn't want you to do God's will. Technically, not doing nothing for God and just pretending that, like going to church once in a while, or going to church every Sunday, checking it off at a list, and not having a close relationship with God is sufficient. It's not. And the enemy wants to lie to us. Satan doesn't want you to know your destiny in God. Another one is this. Satan doesn't want you to know how he gains access into your life. He doesn't want you to know how he gains the access. 
Like, I can tell you right now, like, in most homes, the ways you gain access into a house is through a window, through a door, through a garage. Maybe if you have a second floor, you're able to use a ladder to climb up and go on top of a deck or another place to have access. So there's specific ways to have access. The enemy doesn't want you to know how he gets access, but I'm going to tell you pretty much five major access points. The first one is this. It's going to be behind me. The five major access points is sin. The first one is sin. We all sin. I sin. All of us sin. None of us are perfect. If not, Jesus would have not had to come and die for us and pay the price for our sin. We all sin. But there's a huge difference when we have sin and we don't come to God and ask for forgiveness. And we don't allow sin to control us. There's a huge difference when we accept sin, entertain sin, welcome sin, give sin a seat in our heart and life, give sin pretty much the red carpet. It's like, and I know some people are like, Carlos, but God understands. Let me tell you something. It's like he understands what it is to be tempted, but he understands what it is to win over the temptation. And he wants every child of God to have victory over sin as well because he's given us that victory. So all of a sudden, but what we end up doing often is roll out a red carpet to sin. It's okay for me to get drunk. It's okay. It's okay for me to have sex before marriage. It's okay for me to have sexual intimacy with someone even though I'm not married. It's okay for me to be angry and sin and curse people. It's okay for me to tear people down. It's okay for me to do all these different things, even though the, the world says it's okay, but God says it's not. And you need to realize the moment you allow sin in your life and you entertain it and you roll out the red carpet, you're rolling out the red carpet to the enemy. You're rolling out the red carpet to Satan and to demons, pretty much letting them know, hey, I have sin in my life. That's an access point. That's the back door. It's a sin. It's not the front door because I try to keep it quiet because I feel like if no one knows what I'm doing, it's not affecting anyone. It's the back door, but it's completely open, spiritually speaking, for the enemy to come in. Unforgiveness, allowing bitterness, anger, and revenge to brew. If you have unforgiveness in your heart towards anyone, that's an access point. And I know a lot of times people are like, Carlos, but you don't know what they did to me. I don't. I don't. And I'm sorry you got hurt through that process. And it doesn't mean they deserve the forgiveness. The same way we don't deserve the forgiveness we get from God, but yet we choose to forgive because God has forgiven us and we want to make sure we lock that door. We want to make sure we close that window. We don't want to give access to the enemy because of the unforgiveness. People go through decades of their life with unforgiveness, with an open door and window to the enemy for decades because they've chosen not to forgive. If you're here today and there's someone that you haven't chosen to forgive, even if they've already passed away, but deep down inside of your heart, you know you haven't forgiven them, that's an access point for the enemy. Fear, allowing fear to cripple you and paralyze you. Obviously, we're all afraid of something. I don't I like heights. Like, I'm afraid of heights. I don't like to jump. If you, if you invite me after service to jump out of plane, a plane, <laughs> you'll be waiting all day. I'm not going. Like, I don't like heights. Like, I'm not jumping out of no plane or anything like that. 
I'm, but I'm talking about anything that cripples you from doing what God's called you to do. Because let me tell you, if God tells me that I need to jump out of a plane, even though I don't like it, I'm going to jump out of that plane. Because this is the thing. In my life, I've come to realize that whatever fear comes the way, I need to do the act, I have to do the opposite of what the whisper of fear is doing to break the hold that the fear has. And I do it in Jesus' name because I'm not going to allow any fear to rule me. The only person that rules is Jesus in the throne of my heart. The next one is the occult. Pretty much the occult, like a name that some of us might not know who it is. What Walter Mercado, all right? Some of us know, or Spanish people know who Walter Mercado is. Like, like the occult, believing in heart. Walter Mercado was this guy that used to come out on TV, and he used to be like January, February, like giving you the horoscopes. He used to come out like a, with a white Batman suit. He was a weird guy, straight up. If you didn't know who he is, that's a blessing. So, so all of a sudden, he used to come out like with a white Batman suit, and he used to be like, Enero, January. And let me tell you, everybody used to run around that TV. And even people that used to believe that they're, that they're Christian, all of a sudden they want to hear what this Batman guy wants to say. And they're like, January, this is what's going to happen in January. And then a lot of times I talk to people too, and they're like, they're like oh, I tell them my birthday is January 6th, Dia de los Reyes Magos. So January 6th, they're like, you're Capricorn. And I look at them, and it's like, I'm, I'm a child of God. I'm not Capricorn. I don't believe none of those uh, star things. I don't believe you could look up a magazine and it's going to tell me my, no. My futures is what the Bible says. Like, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't care what the horoscope or the psychic or the tarot cards or the Ouija board, all those things are access points that the enemy tries to gain, gain access into your life. And a lot of us too, maybe Santeria, like growing up, my parents, they were Catholic, but their Catholic was tainted with practices of Santeria. And even I remember as a little kid dressing up in a certain color for 40 days in a row, coming home and my parents hitting me with, uh, with like leaves because of something, whatever. It was all these practices. Growing up, I used to see things, hear things, experience things that were demonic because of these practices. These are all from the devil. And a lot of times we indulge in it or we practice it or we go to it, whether how I said tarot cards, psychics, horoscopes, all these things, these are entry points that the, uh, the devil uses. False religions, believing in superstition. I don't care if a thousand black cats walk past me when I go home. Nothing is going to happen to me because a cute little cat comes by me. That's, there's, those are superstitions that the world tries to make you believe in instead of believing the truth of what God says. And the truth is too that, and a lot of times I hear people say, oh, like, you know, good luck or believe in luck. There's no such thing as luck. I believe that there's a God that's sovereign sitting on the throne. Even when things seem like it's not in the order that I believe, I could rest at peace that someone's in charge. I know I'm not in charge. Someone's in charge. I don't believe in luck. You don't have to tell me. You don't, I don't have to. Imagine if the, it's so ridiculous having a rabbit's foot. If that's the truth, you know, like people would carry like a thousand rabbit foots in their um, pocket. 
All that is nonsense, nonsense. And, but think about it. Be careful because even as Christians, we fall for it too. Sometimes like, oh, I have to wear this cross or this, this bracelet cross thing. It's like, gives me power. Or sometimes even on Facebook, I see people share. It's like they post something, share this post like 10 times and you'll be blessed. I don't have to share no post 10 times. I know I'm blessed. Like, you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden we fall in trusting all this weird stuff outside of God. And the next one is exposure. Being exposed, maybe you never practice in any of this stuff, but if your family has, if your grandparents did, your parents did, your friends did, like when you used to go to their house, if you were exposed to it, like that, could affect you the same way you could be exposed from being outside in the sun too much. Just because you're outside in the sun, it's going to affect you the same way if you're exposed a lot. I remember I had friends that used to play with the Ouija board on a daily basis. And sometimes, you know, obviously I would go to their house. So when I would go to their house, I was exposing myself to whatever they were inviting, spiritually speaking. Fourth, Uh, thing that the enemy doesn't want you to know. Satan doesn't want you to know that you have authority over him as a child of God. He doesn't want you to know that. He doesn't want, like, pretty much you have, like, a bazooka that you, spiritually speaking, that you're walking with every single day, but you don't realize it. You don't know it. Like, and the enemy doesn't want you to know it. So he doesn't want you to know. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, it says this. I'm talking about Jesus. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Jesus is the greatest name, highest name that could ever be invoked. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Spiritually speaking, I know you're sitting in Christ fellowship today or you're sitting at home watching through your live stream. But spiritually speaking, I'm seated with Jesus in heavenly realms. There's authority that I have through Jesus. It's not my authority. It's pretty much the authority that I'm able to exercise because of Jesus in his name. Think of a police officer when he stops you. He's a regular person, but because he has a badge, he has authority given to him by the government. He has authority. So because of what's backing him, you have to obey the commands that are being said. In the same way, spiritually speaking, because of who's backing us, who's Jesus, and we're in Christ, when we tell Satan in Jesus' name that he has to leave, he has to leave. It's not because he's afraid of me or afraid of you. He has to leave because of who's backing you. All of a sudden, you're seated next to Jesus, and the enemy doesn't want anything to do with that. Spiritual authority, this is a position given to you by God to exercise his will. I remember one time when I was in St. Barnabas, I pretty much knew the Lord for about just a year. And I was talking there and I was talking to a coworker of mine and he starts telling me how he's a devil worshiper. He starts telling me how he worships 
Satan to the point that he kills animals and he keeps the skulls and he weren't like to that level. And I'm not going to go in detail and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but he's pretty much just telling me all of this. And I just told him straight out. I was like, yo, you're messing with Satan. You need Jesus and, and this and that. Literally that day, we went to the time clock to check out of work. It was around 6 p.m., on a Saturday in St. Barnabas in Livingston, regular work day. And I looked at him, I said, hey, why don't we go to the chapel and let's pray. And I walk into the chapel and as I walk into the chapel, he says to me, Carlos, what's happening? And all I know is that I felt God's presence so powerfully that day very unique the way I felt it that particular day. And the moment I stepped in, I looked at him and literally it was something from the movies. He was distorting, his voice was changing. Literally it was straight up from the movies, what was I was experiencing. And I just was like, Jesus! <laughs> I was like, te necesito Jesus, what's happening here? So all I know, I started calling on the name of Jesus. And the more I called on the name of Jesus, the crazier he got. So I was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> so I just kept saying Jesus. And I told, and I remember I just kept saying, the blood of Jesus is against you. And I just kept saying that. And all of a sudden, I saw him totally distorted. And all of a sudden, you felt something break. And he was completely at peace. And he told me, he's like, Carlos, I've never felt this peace in my life. He gave his heart to the Lord. But this to show you the levels, the stages that the enemy had influence in his life. Number five, the fifth thing the enemy doesn't want you to know is Satan doesn't want you to know the immeasurable power that's available to you. He doesn't want you to know. Now, I want to tell you something. There's something called target hardening. Uh, if you talk to police and breaking, and breaking into houses or even apartments, there's certain things you could do to harden the target. There's certain things that you could do to make it difficult for um, burglars to come. You could put an alarm. You could put cameras. You could put thorn bushes by the windows. You could put decals, signage that there is being monitored. You could get a dog, even though my dog will lick you to death before biting you, but you could get like a Rottweiler. Don't get like a little husky thingy. So all of a sudden, like there's different things you could do around and within your uh, house to make it more difficult for burglars to come near you. Spiritually speaking, there's things as well. There's five things we're going to highlight real quick here. Is there. Number one, worship. The enemy hates when you worship. Hates when you worship. I want to remind you in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23, when David would worship, the demons of Saul would flee. There's many times I'm at home listening to worship music and I have to leave. I don't shut off the worship music. I leave it on. I was like, spiritually speaking, if there's anything that wants to try to come inside my house, they're going to be greeted by worshipers through my tracks or what I'm listening to because my house is a constant praise to God of worship. So I want to make my house a place that 
The enemy wouldn't feel comfortable at all. He starts coming by the sidewalks like, no, no puedo ir a casa de Carlos. Ahí tiene la música puesta otra vez. Like, I can't go near his house because there he has the worship music playing. When you worship. Now, when I tell you worship, I'm talking about something genuine. So let me tell you, if all of a sudden it has to be the right song for you to worship, the right temperature to worship, the right person to worship, and all that, you're not worshiping. Because all you're looking for is entertainment. The church is not a country club. You know, you're not here for us just to entertain you. You have to worship God, whether there's music or no music, whether there's lyrics or no lyrics, whether it's the song you like or the song you don't like, whether the night is going like you want to or you don't, it's not how you planned, then all of a sudden it's not a good night. No, no, no. All of a sudden, every single person, you need to realize you have to worship in the spirit and truth with all of your heart. And that's the worship the enemy hates. Prayer. The right, uh, righteous uh, um, person, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We know that from James chapter 5, 16. Every morning at 7 in the morning, we gather to pray. As a church, you could tune in and pray with us. Every single day, we need to pray. Every single day we have to pray. Every single day, the next one is reading God's word. Think of Jesus when he got tempted. He used God's word against the enemy. Every day we have to pray and read um, God's word. You might say, it's like, Carlos, but that's too much. Think of it this way. Would it be too much uh, if I would look at Jenna? It's like, you know what? It's like, why don't we just leave our door wide open in our house? Is it okay? Leave our windows open. Leave our doors open. Literally, when we choose not to do these things where we can access power and transformation in our lives, all of a sudden what we're doing, we're leaving signs there. Be like, hey, I'm okay with the enemy having access. Also, sharing your testimony. Sharing your testimony. When you get a chance, I want you to read from Revelations chapter 12, um, um, chapter 12, verse 11, it talks about how the believers overcame the enemy by the power of the blood of Jesus and the word of their testimony. Every time you talk about Jesus and tell people what he's doing in your life and who he is, all of a sudden you're having victory over the enemy. Do you remember why God's presence came in your life? Acts chapter 2, when it got poured out, there's a main purpose between, uh, for God's presence is to be witnesses. When you share your testimony, you're being witnesses, doing exactly what God has called you to do, and it breaks what the enemy is doing. Also, the, um, the last two things there, you see the name and the blood of Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, it says this, it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything has to bow to Jesus. Every tongue has to confess that he is Lord. I'd rather choose to confess he's Lord than him make me confess if I decide not to because every tongue will eventually confess that Jesus is Lord. So here today, we've talked about many different things. 
But as, as we are ending this service, I want to talk about closing those access points. Because in my opinion, I believe most Christians are lazy when it comes to closing access points. And of course, I highlighted five. There's others. But to me, these are main five to focus on. Like so many times, imagine if we just get lazy leaving our doors open our car windows open. All of a sudden, I'll leave my wallet outside, my keys outside, just my pretty much have all access open in my house and tell the enemy, you could do whatever you want. And the truth is the enemy is there to destroy your life and destroy everyone else's life as well around you. But you can't help anyone else if the enemy is having a field day in your house. So with every head bowed now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you've gotten lazy and have allowed the enemy to have access. We talked about the different stages spiritually the enemy could gain access. If you're here today and there's sin in your life, you have to ask for forgiveness. You have to repent. You have to turn around and not be in that path anymore. You have to stop coming up with excuses for your cursing, for your sexual sins, for everything that you choose to do that you know doesn't please God, because those are all access points for the enemy. We have to come to God and ask for forgiveness. If there's unforgiveness in your life, you need to choose today to forgive. We realize they don't deserve it, but you're doing this because God commands us to do it. But in addition to that, You want to be in a place where you're spiritually healthy and not have this unforgiveness in your heart. If you're here today and fear has paralyzed you and crippled you in any way, shape, or form, it's your day to declare that nothing is going to rule your life but God. No voice is going to lead or sway you but God. Only God is the one that you will bow down to. You're not going to bow down to those fears anymore. Only God is the voice that you will respond to. And then also some of us, we might have been involved with the occult. Some of us believe in horoscopes. Some of us believe in psychics. Some of us maybe in the past practiced santeria. Maybe even at this moment, there's elements of it in your life. You believe in superstition. You believe in pretty much luck. You believe in everything that the world has said to believe in. Today's your day to renounce that. Today's your day to declare that your entire life belongs to Jesus. It's your day to declare in Jesus' name that you're breaking everything from the past in Jesus' name and asking God to deliver you from anything that's from the occult, anything demonic to set you free from it in the name of Jesus. Some of us, we've allowed ourselves to be exposed to things we know that are affecting us. There's decisions we have to make to be set apart for God. And it's not easy. I remember when I gave myself to the Lord, I had to break friendships, close friendships, because I knew that as long as I had those friendships, I wouldn't be able to keep walking with God. I had to break those friendships for the sake of what God had for me in my life.
Some of us might be at that point. Wherever you are with every eye closed, if you know that you want to surrender and make this declaration, I want you to stand to your feet. You could come to the altar as well if you want. The altar is open. But you could stand to your feet, declaring that Jesus is Lord of your life. You could stand to your feet, asking God for forgiveness for your sins. You could stand to your feet, just telling God that he's the Lord over everything in your life. You could stand to your feet, telling God that you forgive those that have hurt you. You forgive those that damaged you. You forgive those that have pretty much damaged your heart and mind. And just letting it go, leaving it before God. Just declare that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Whether you're sitting or standing, talk to God. Just declare that your entire life is his. That you're not going to be lazy. You're going to follow God. You're going to be committed. You're going to read his word every day. You're going to pray every day. You're going to be committed to use your gifts and talents. You're going to share the gospel. You're going to do the work that God has called you to do. Father God, I thank you for every single person that's here at this moment. And even now, we raise our hands in surrender. God, forgive us for every sin we've committed. We we forgive everyone that's hurt us. In Jesus' name, we ask you to break every chain that's from the enemy, that's from the occult, anything that the enemy has brought into our lives at this moment, God. We ask that it would be broken right now in Jesus' name. Any heaviness, any oppression, any heavy weight of darkness in our lives, in Jesus' name, we command it to leave our lives right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we command everything that's not of you to leave our life right now. God, we ask you that you would lift burdens, break chains, set people free at this very moment, God. Anything demonic that anyone might have to entertain, God, I pray that their minds would be set free in Jesus' name, that they would be able to focus clearly on you like never before. God, we ask you that you would flood us with your presence at this moment, God. Flood us to the overflowing, that we would realize that we're in a battle and you've called us to be victorious in this battle because you won the ultimate victory. We just have to enforce it in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Before you leave, before you leave, I do, you could be seated. I just want to say one last thing to you. I remember one day, as clear as day, I was, I'm in my house, my old house, I was in the backyard and I was raking leaves and I saw someone go up the driveway of my neighbor's house. They went to the back door of the house and they started to knock the door down. That burglar didn't see me. He didn't know I was there. I could have stayed quiet. I could have ignored it. I could have 
pretend that it wasn't happening and I could have just called the police or whatever. But I'm not going to sit back and watch my neighbor's house get broken into and not do anything. So I called out to the guy. I said, what you doing? And he said, oh, I bought the house, but they didn't give me keys. That's a true story. That's exactly what he said to me. So I was like, okay, that's not a good uh, reason. So I was like, I, I know that's not your house. You have to leave. And all of a sudden, he grabs his bag, and he starts going to the front, and he thought he was going to leave, and I wasn't going to make sure he's at the property. I went, I followed him. I went outside the front. I was on the phone with police. I said, come, come down here to Parker Road, Union Avenue. I'm walking down. They, 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 the police thought, yeah, I was even in the car or something. I thought, no, I'm on foot. Yeah, I'm on foot. So all I know, he starts running. I start chasing him. Start chasing him until the cops come. The cops came. We caught him. I actually even helped hold the guy down while the cop was arresting him. But the reason why I'm telling you this story is not for you to think of how crazy I am, because I know I'm a little crazy. <laughs> crazy how I am is there's no way in the world I'm going to sit back and watch the enemy break into the houses of my family and my friends and, my, and people that I know and strangers. I'm not going to sit back and not tell them the truth about Jesus. I'm not going to sit back and not invite them to church. I'm not going to sit back and not speak the truth. I'm not going to sit back and pretend everything is okay. Some of us, we know family members are being tormented by the enemy. Some of us know family members that are influenced by the enemy. Family members that the enemy has control over their lives. I'm not going to sit back and pretend it's okay, ignore it, or think someone else will do something. No, no, no. You have to do your part. And obviously the main thing is leading them to God is leading them to God, introducing them to Jesus, talking to them about Jesus, inviting them to church, and realize that the battle is not just winning the battle in your own life, but our goal is to win the battle everywhere that we go. Because the reality is light has to overcome darkness. We know that light, because of Jesus, already overcame darkness, but we are instruments of his light, and we have to shine his light brightly through this world. And God is not going to remove the lampstand of Christ's fellowship the way that he removed it to Ephesus because it was a church that didn't repent and didn't turn from their wicked ways. I want us to be a church that when God looks down at the city of Elizabeth, he sees, he's like, Christ fellowship is there. That's a lampstand that's shining brightly, despite of what the world might say, despite of what is happening around us, we're shining brightly the truth and let the light shine brightly every single day. But realize that every single one of you You're a candle in this lampstand. Every single one of you here, everyone in this balcony, everyone watching in the live stream, it's not about me shining brightly by myself. Every single one of us, we're a candle in the lampstand. Make sure that you shine brightly. God bless you. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. 
If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch on demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.